To Sean and Ed's do baseball. That's Sean, and he's Ed's, and uh, we're gonna be doing some baseball. If you don't know the format, uh, this is a baseball history podcast where uh, we take turns uh, researching a story from baseball history. It could be a uh, event, a person, uh, a series, series, a, you know, a series of things. We're, a, we're a not franchise. We're not gonna narrow it down. Yeah, really. yeah. We um, tell each other stories. Yeah. We both fucking love baseball. And the other person has no idea what what, yeah. what they're gonna be hearing about. So. Yeah, I'm sure I'm sure you have something very happy and, and nice. No. 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 All right. Uh our last episode we uh kinda were discussing uh how we took a break for like pretty much a whole year. We went on a hiatus for a year, kinda focus on like ourselves and like uh some like mental health things. So like we're gonna do a couple episodes here that have to do with mental health because uh, i think it's important to us uh it is you know to and it should be important to everyone i think uh, should be important to society yeah for uh, sure and, so uh if you you know so if you're like feeling down or whatever talk to your friends talk to your family if you feel like you need to get some professional help and you know it's just talk yeah because uh in my experience it's it's helped me so uh yeah, let's... Uh, let's do this. Yeah, so anyway, uh, this story begins, Sean, like this. October 25th, 1871. Holy shit, all right. It's a long time ago. Yeah. Martin Bergen was born in North Brookfield, Massachusetts to Michael and Anne and Bergen. Michael and Anne Bergen. All right. Michael and Anne were both born in Ireland, immigrating to the United States in 1865 at the end of the Civil War. Michael supported his wife and six children working in a shoe factory. All right. The Bergen's third child, Martin, was the first son. When Martin was a teenager, baseball was just coming to flower as the national game with Camp At- Cap Anson of the Chicago White Stockings and King Kelly of the Chicago's and then the Boston's showing the way in their wools. So I guess the teams, those teams just didn't have names. They were just named after their city yeah and if you hear like a ringing right now that's my downstairs neighbor's phone so oh. they still have a landline so okay fuck them so it's 1871 downstairs apparently <laughs> <laughs> martin and his younger brother william practiced endlessly both as catchers i don't know how they did that but <laughs> 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 William, Bill, was the sixth child and only other boy. Like Marty, who was seven years older, Bill was a catcher, learning the trade from his elder brother. Although he was one of the poorest hitters in Major League history. Bill caught for Cincinnati and Brooklyn from 1901 to 1911, and both Bergen brothers were regarded as among the finest catchers of their time. Nice. Marty grew up in North Brookfield, a small town in Worcester County, about 75 miles from Boston. Worcester. Woista. Woista. Well, we, we were there. We, we, were we, we in, practiced. Were we in Woista? No, I don't think we were in Woista, but I we were we were in Massachusetts. Yeah, we were definitely in Massachusetts. I think we bypassed that. For the, anyways, continue. Yeah, anyway. It's about 75 miles from Boston. He played on his local independent club known as the Brookfields. In 1891, Marty showed his first signs of instability and violence by engaging in a fistfight with another Brookfields player. 
Wait, he fought his own player? Yep. Like, in a game or, like, just generally, like, fought him, like, in the clubhouse or, like, on the street or I, I, at a bar? I don't... I, it, okay. wasn't, it wasn't... It wasn't... Very, very, he gets he, into a fight with a teammate. In, yeah. 1891. In 1892, the 20-year-old Bergen joined Salem in the New England League, his first professional club. Yeah. In 59 games at catcher, he batted 247, but the year was not over before he got into a beef with a teammate over what the Sporting News described as, quote... An imaginary grievance of Bergens. <laughs> you stole my slippers. <laughs> you gave, don't own slippers, man. He gave the other player a, quote, bad beating. <laughs> Bergen fought with other teammates that year over what they too maintained were imagined offenses. All right. So he's paranoid. Yeah. Bergen rejoined the Brookfields during the late fall. Also in 1892, Harriet Hattie Gaines moved to North Brookfield from New York State after securing a position at a local mill. She soon met Bergen, and they were married on July 11th, 1893. All right. A few years later, they purchased a small farm called Snowball Farm on Boynton Street. Oh, wow. Coincidences there. Coincidence. We know the Boyntons. <laughs> Go ahead. The couple, the couple <laughs> had three children. Martin, born 1894... Florence, born a year later, and Joseph a year or two after his sister. I don't know why they didn't keep track of Joseph's birth year, but anyway. <laughs> a year, a year or two, two after. Whatever. I don't know. It's, it's, yeah. it's, it's, what is it, the third child? Yeah, just, yeah whatever. You don't care at that Apparently point. their father is Homer Simpson. <laughs> <laughs> In 1893, he joined Northampton, Massachusetts, an independent club, and played three games for Wilkes Bar in the Eastern League. At the end of that season, he was drafted by the Pittsburgh Pirates, managed by his neighbor, Connie Mack. Well, that's that's just a <laughs> leg up there. Yeah. Foot in the door. Yeah. <laughs> I think Connie Mack was your neighbor. <laughs> wearing a suit all the time. Like John Farrell being... Or John Farrell. What about John Gibbons being your neighbor? Yeah. John Farrell being your neighbor, you'd be like... He'd be like instituting like... Hmm. Your grass is like a quarter inch long. You know everything about your family tree, though. Yes, he would. Yeah. Anyways, Gibby would just be fun, though. You'd, yeah. 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 Hey, continue. In 1894, Connie Max's neighbor. Connie Max's neighbor. Yeah. I just, uh, wow. All right. Yeah. So he's, yeah. He's got a leg up. Like yeah. You there said. you go. So he's playing. For In 1894, Pittsburgh. the Pirates assigned Bergen to Lewiston, Maine, in the New England League for seasoning. He batted 321 in 97 games and caught brilliantly. Quote, a phenomenal ball player, his teammate Jack Sherratt recalled years later in the Worcester Evening Gazette. But, quote, so cranky that hardly anyone could get along with him, and it was only by the greatest diplomacy that he was gotten along with at all. All right. <laughs> the practice of farming wasn't legal at that time in baseball history, Thus, the transfer became an issue, and Bergen's contract with, the Pittsburgh, with Pittsburgh was voided. At the end of the year, he was drafted by both the National League's Washington Senators and the Western League's Kansas City Blues. Bergen performed so well in Maine that manager Jimmy Manning signed him to his Kansas City Blues in the talent-rich and hotly competitive Western League. There, Bergen played to generally effusive reviews. After a 9-7 victory over Indianapolis in late July 1895, the Kansas City Star noted, quote, Bergen caught an excellent game yesterday and kept the visitors anchored to the bases all through the contest. All right. What's more, it was not only his artful catching that was drawing notices. Uh, by July 
first. Bergen was leading the Blues with a 407 average. Okay, so I'm figuring out now that effusive means positive. Yes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I was waiting. I was hanging on that. I'm like, I'm not sure what that word means. That we'll find out. Yeah. All right. Uh, 407. Good. So, so he fucking he can hit. Yeah. I thought he, you said he couldn't. No, it was his older brother that couldn't hit. His older his brother. Younger brother. Oh. Oh yes. All Will's right. younger. All right. Quote. He is one of the cleanest hitters that ever played in Kansas City, the star reported on June 23rd. His play suggested that he belonged at another level, in the only major league then in existence, the National League. However, club president and field manager Jimmy Manning soon became exasperated with his new catcher. Bergen was a moody sort who constantly expressed his displeasure. Mood swings aside, Bergen flipped from bright, expansive highs to dark, despondent lows. He was beginning to show a disturbing inclination to flee from his travails. So he would, like, take off anytime time stuff got shitty. Mm-hmm. Bergen and Hattie Gaines had been married in July 1893. He had urged her to join him in Kansas City, but she had chosen instead to say, stay with her family in upstate New York during the season. Living in a distant town without his wife left Bergen more unsettled than ever, and his erratic behavior incensed the tough Manning. Near the end of the 95 season, in one of his spells, Bergen left the Blues over a perceived slight while the team was in Minneapolis and went home to Massachusetts never to return. Okay, so he just left the team? Yeah. All right. Just taken off. Just... Yeah, he just dipped. He thought he was slighted, so he dipped and never came back. It doesn't say what he was slighted for. But nope. It doesn't... Yeah, he seems to be thinking he gets... Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's, he's getting slighted. And he gets upset, and then he dips all the time. Yeah, so... He's been on a lot of teams. Yes, he has. Yeah. Yeah. At the end of the year, Marty was drafted by the Boston Bean Eaters of the National League for the 1896 season. Probably my favorite team name. Boston Bean Eaters. Yeah, it's just like, these guys eat fucking beans. Mm. (laughs) Magical fruit. (laughs) The more you eat. Yeah, just imagine it was just like the fucking... The more you eat. The more you toot. Yes. Okay. So (laughs) imagine there was a team nowadays. It's called like the fucking Broccoli Munchers or like... (laughs) There's probably a minor league team called the Broccoli Munchers. I'm not going to lie. If not, there will be next year. Someone weird will hear this and be like, we should call the team the Broccoli Eaters. The Buffalo Broccoli Eaters. I would I'd pay for that. At least, oh, didn't they have like a... Oh, that was Celery that finally won like the... The vegetable race? Are we talking about the bison's vegetable? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I don't know how. Let's get back. Okay. Uh, Drafted by the Boston Bean Eaters of the National League for the 1896 season, he had been recommended to manager Frank Soleil by pitcher Kid Nichols, a Kansas City native. Nichols had seen the catcher in a game during the 1895 season when he stopped at home during a Western trip. Before Bergen would join Boston... Team owner Arthur Soden had to make a trip to North Brookfield to convince the sensitive player that he was valued and would be treated well by his new club. All right. So they're courting him. Yeah, there's a little, there's some Steinbrenner shit going on there. Yeah, yeah good. We got you. We're not going to slight you, we swear. <laughs> we love you. Yeah. <laughs> Within a year, Bergen had established a reputation for throwing out base runners. Bergen played in 344 Major League games for the Bean Eater teams. Mm -hmm. He played for Boston from 1896 to 99, catching 63, 85, 117, and 72 games during those four years. 
Nice. He gained a reputation as one of the finest catchers in the league. One Sporting News article described him as, quote, the greatest throwing catcher that the game ever produced. Connie Mack, a catcher himself, stated that Bergen was the only catcher he'd seen gun down a base dealer at second from his knees. Basically, he's like fucking Pudge. He's Pudge in his day. Yeah. Like 1990s Pudge and 1890s fucking... Marty Bergen. Marty Bergen. That... All right. From the get-go, though, Bergen had trouble with his teammates. All right. As one reporter explained in May 1896, quote, Martin Bergen, the young backstop, is unpopular with his fellow players on the Boston team. Bergen is a sullen, sarcastic chap, never associates with the players, and always nurses a fancied grievance. His disposition handicaps his playing talents. End quote. Boston was one of the top teams in the league during Bergen's stint behind the plate. They finished fourth in his rookie season. The next two years, they copped the pennant before finishing second by eight games in 1899. Kid Nichols, Boston's ace, explained how important the catcher was to the team. Quote, Baltimore beat us the next three years after we lost Charlie Bennett. Then we got Marty Bergen from Kansas City and won the pennants again in 1897 and 1898. Despite his catching abilities and the team's success, Bergen was often the topic of trade rumors because of his moodiness, melancholy, inability to mesh with teammates, and penchant for sulking and leaving the club. Near the end of the 1898 season, Bergen threatened his teammates after an altercation on the bench. He declared that he would, quote, club them to death at the end of the season. Okay, well, at least he's waiting till the end of the season. Yeah. <laughs> All right, uh, that's, that's a good thing. He slapped teammate Vic Willis in a St. Louis hotel dining room, as the Nebraska State, Nebraska State Journal noted via Wire Reports, quote, Martin Bergen, the eccentric catcher of the Boston team, is in trouble again. Bergen, always surly, often lets his temper get away from him and makes breaks from which there is no provocation. He hit pitcher Willis in the face because he sat down at the same table in the dining room. Bergen's teammates appreciated his strong arm and hustling style of play, but relations between the catcher and the team soured following the altercation. Yeah, I can see I, why. Yeah. yeah, just slapped the dude for sitting at the same Punch table it, dude. as him. Yeah, I mean, this doesn't. He's, yeah, yeah. The team's mixed emotions were expressed by an anonymous teammate quoted in the press he has made trouble with a good many of the boys and we just give him a wide berth but he's a ball player and once we get into a game personal feelings are set aside in admiration of the artists for such he was good to know they were professionals back then too (laughs) Bergen's condition worsened in 1899 which led to internal turmoil for the bean eaters he was having hallucinations that enemies were trying to poison him. Okay. Yeah, that's not. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Now it's yeah psychosis. Or yeah. Something. Uh, yeah. Well, I'm sure. I don't know anything about it. Okay. Well, when the team was at the when the team was at home in Boston, Bergen always spent the night at his farm. Neighbors said he would play with his children all day, rarely associating with others. Throughout the 1899 season, Bergen pestered Soleil for time off to return to his family. He would play a few games, then asked to go home. On April 24, 1899, Bergen's son Martin, who was five, passed away from diphtheria while his father was out of town. Oh, shit. 
After two weeks at home with his family, he rejoined the club, but he quickly descended into a downward spiral. Bergen imagined that his teammates were making jokes behind his back about the death. He began sitting in particular positions and walking sideways so that he could spot assassins approaching from either side of him. Okay. Boston's team president urged the other players to avoid Bergen, fearing what he might do. How do you avoid him? If he's, <laughs> he's on your team. Yeah. <laughs> See that guy? Just just don't go near him. See him walking that, sideways over there? Just It's just fine. Just that. leave him alone. If just, we just leave him alone, the problem will it'll, it'll be fine. Yeah. Some blamed his condition on heavy drink, but Bergen was regarded by others as a teetotaler. Which I assume means he does. He does drink. not drink. Okay, that's what that means. Yes, <laughs> there's a lot. Eighteen nineties jargon, you know. Yeah. Not a, not a. He's a teetotaler. He's a teetotaler. He's got wacky pants. I don't. What? <laughs> <laughs> that's you a got, teetotaler on the trolley. Yeah, I don't, I don't, no, I don't not, know what the fuck. It's a back alley Jimmy with a fucking. <laughs> that's enough. <laughs> We're going to stop. Okay. On July 20th, 1899, the Boston team was traveling by train to Cincinnati. The men were having a good time playing cards, but Bergen sat withdrawn from his teammates. When the train stopped in Washington, D.C., Bergen hopped off, jumping the club and returning home to North Brookfield, leaving Boston with just a backup catcher (laughs) during a heated pennant race. Sweet. The train stopped and he was just He was like, yo, later. (laughs) Going back to North Brookfield. Peace. All right. So that's what happened. Consistent. However, he was lustily cheered by fans upon his return to the team. Another, it's it's Marty. He's back. He's back. He's back again. He's going to leave in like a week. But anyway, he's going to slap a guy on the way out. But. Uh, another Wire article described Bergen as, quote, the hardest man in the National League to manage. I wonder why. Yeah. The writer described Bergen as, quote, the erratic catcher of the Boston club who has deserted the club annually since his connection with it and always at a time when his services were most needed. Mm-hmm. His grievances are fanciful of a moody disposition. He imagines that his fellow players are leagued against him and are intent on bringing about his downfall. The contrary is the case. Manager Soleil and his players have treated the great backstop with unusual consideration. In September, Bergen disappeared again. One book on Boston baseball history recounts that after his son's death, Bergen would, quote, Bergen, quote, would catch a few games, then ask manager Frank Soleil if he could return home for a few days. When Soleil refused permission, Bergen would go home anyway. Bergen complained that players kept reminding him of his son who had died, and he resented a $300 fine imposed for being AWOL. Black moods came on Bergen, who seemed to be happy only when on his farm in North Brookfield. Probably should have just like gone and yeah, stayed well, at the farm in North. Well, Brookfield. I just, like the team is not handling this well. You no, know, they're, they're just not helping. Like, well, why bit. do you keep leaving? Here's a fine and stuff. Just yeah. stay away from him. He'll yeah. just come. Like they're not. They don't seem to be. What's going on, Marty? Well, yeah, and the sports reporters are just like, this guy's acting funny, but it's the news. <laughs> <laughs> Quote, Boston Globe reporter Tim Murnane rode out to the Bergen farm to assess the problem, and it's not a quote. 
Yeah. <laughs> Boston Globe reporter Tim Murnane rode out to the Bergen farm to assess the problem and to coax the Moody catcher into rejoining the bean eaters. I like that it's the newspaper guy. This is a yeah. fucking movie. Yeah. The newspaper guy goes out to the farm to convince the old veteran to come back to the team. Bergen lamented that his teammates were hounding him and that at least four of them shouted, Strike him out! when he was at bat. He claimed his teammates and team owners Soden were avoiding him, and he was upset because manager Frank Soleil wouldn't give him, a, give him a day off to visit his family. Furthermore, he didn't like the tone of a telegram he had received from Soden during his absence. <laughs> Bergen then claimed he was injured and he had to return home because only his lifelong friend and hometown physician, Dr. Louis Dion, could care for him. He finally rejoined the club a week and a half later, showing up unannounced a few minutes before the game and putting on his catching gear without speaking to anyone. <laughs> well, all right. He's pretty erratic. Yeah. On October 9th, Bergen had to be removed from a game when he dodged the pitches rather than catching them. That Because is... <laughs> he was preoccupied with avoiding knife thrusts from an invisible ins- assailant. I think this is the time with... <laughs> Uh, you would maybe intervene. Yep. But yep. let's find out if they do. <laughs> Just, okay. Bergen was aware of his mental state and actively sought help from both clergy and physicians. Well, that's good. However, he refused to take any of the bromides prescribed by his doctor, explaining, quote, I thought someone in the National League had found out that you were my family physician and had arranged to give me some poison. I did not take it from my wife because I didn't wish hers to be the hand that poisoned me. Okay. By the end of the season, he was totally estranged from his teammates. Several players said they would not return to the Bean Eaters in 1900 if the increasingly erratic Bergen was still with the club. Mm. Several sources report that Bergen suffered a broken hip at the end of the 1899 season. The story goes that this injury threatened his career and sent him into a depression. However, this doesn't match the evidence. Bergen was bothered by hip problems throughout his career, and he had an operation for an abscess on his right hip in January, on January 28, 1899, the result of sliding into home near the end of the 1898 season, but that didn't stop him from playing the entire year. Hmm. The hip surgery in January 1899 required him to be under anesthesia for four hours. His doctor and family noted that he never seemed to recover mentally from the operation. Most important to Bergen's frail state was the death of his five-year-old son. Yeah, that, yeah. Yeah. This was, yeah. This was compounded by guilt over the fact that he was away from home at the time on road with the ball club. Mm-hmm. Immediately after the 1899 season, Bergen talked with his physician and confident Dr. Dion, who uh-huh. later told reporters that all seemed fine, but the doctor soon heard from family, friends, and neighbors that Bergen was acting wild. When the doctor visited, he found Bergen pacing in front of the house. It didn't take much prodding for the ball player to, quote, open his heart in a tearful rant. He confessed to Dion that he had strange ideas, and he was afraid that he was not right in the head. Bergen admitted that he couldn't remember much about the past baseball season. All he remembered was that a man came up to him from that a man came up to him after his last game and congratulated him on a fine performance and gave him a cigar. Bergen was afraid to smoke the cigar because he believed it was poisoned. Well, wow. 
Thought a lot of things were poison. Yes, he did. He that's a consistent. Yeah. yeah, he's he was also concerned that Dion and his wife were trying to poison him. Oh God, damn! He refused to take any medicine they gave him if he didn't mix, first mix it himself. Yeah. Bergen believed the National League had found out that Dion was his doctor and paid Dion to kill him. He described being frightened of his teammates, feeling that they were out to kill him. Bergen said he always sat sideways on the bench in the clubhouse and on trains in case his teammates decided to attack. He wished he had quit baseball so he could find some peace. Well, yeah. He could, but he doesn't, I guess. Well, I, yeah, no, it seems like he's... I mean, obviously he's super paranoid, but like... Mm-hmm. The baseball, it seems like he's the, you know, I don't know. It's just like it's the he. He also hates, believe, he hates baseball. It seems yeah. like he he is so good at it, but he fucking hates it because he just thinks that like everything seems to compound when he's mm-hmm. at the game, right? He also believed that people in general, including the Boston team and other National League players, were plotting against him. Yeah. The doctor gave Bergen a bromide and told him to repeat the dosage in three hours. However, the doctor did give him some advice that seemed to work. Bergen chewed and sucked on tobacco constantly. The doctor suggested that he quit the habit as it was contributing to his nervousness and anxiety. Well, that's good. I was expecting you to say the opposite. (laughs) (laughs) Keep chewing that tobacco. Do more. Do it more. Have you tried this heroin? (laughs) Bergen did so and felt better for a time. Later, Dion had what he described as a nice, pleasant conversation with Bergen who got up to leave the office and said, quote, this has been a pleasant talk, and it is strange how is it, it has rattled me. Bergen also confided in his pastor that he believed himself to be insane and feared his own actions. Hmm. He asked for help, but none was forthcoming from his doctor, priest, family, or community, or team. Yeah. On the night of January 18th, 1900, a Thursday, the Bergen family ate a hearty meal and turned in. When Bergen's father found the bodies fo- the following morning, oh, the beds had been slept in. Okay. Sometime in the early morning, Bergen arose and started preparing for the day. He removed the ashes from the stove, the home's primary heat source. Um, the, the primary yeah, heat source. primary so heat source, the, indicating that oh. the stove had cooled overnight. Bergen yeah. then placed paper in the stove for lighting, though he hadn't yet retrieved wood from outside as the inside pile was depleted. Mm-hmm. For then some unknown reason, he snapped. Stressed and delusional, Bergen slaughtered his family. First, he attacked his wife in the bedroom, hitting her multiple times in the head with the blunt side of an axe. Okay. Um, yep. Okay, continue. <laughs> she fell, dying in one of the beds. Yep. Bergen then whacked his son once with the sharp side of the axe. Okay. The boy died in the other bed. Oh. In the kitchen, Bergen killed his daughter, smashing her multiple times in the head with the blunt end of the axe. Oh, dear. Bergen then retrieved a razor and stood in front of a mirror in the kitchen. He sliced his own throat, nearly severing his head, and fell beside his daughter. Holy fuck, man. Like, fuck. <laughs> yeah. Oh. Okay. Jesus Christ. I told you it was darker than yours. Uh, I well, fuck. Like, um, I, like, honestly, don't like. But he was so anguished by his first. But he was clearly like paranoid and and oh god, that's just. I mean, I knew it was gonna get. 
bad, but it, it, it got, got really bad really quick. I kind of sprung her, it on you. Was it her father or his father? Uh, it's not like really. Yeah, Bergen's father. Oh, yeah. f- oh God. That's. Is, is there more? Or is there. I guess yeah, that's. Yeah, Bergen's behavior had been known to the press. Yes, which it has. Much yes, of it. it had. Following his death, they reported that he had been subject to fits of melancholy and showed signs of insanity in the fall of 1899. Like it's, After examining contemporary accounts, the Harvard Medical School School's Dr. Carl Salzman felt that Bergen was likely a schizophrenic with possible manic depression. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I mean, it's it's fucked up because over a hundred years, like, but like, it's like we're reading this and we're like, yeah. Mm-hmm. But at the time, they were like, oh, he's crazy. He just likes to dodge knives while catching. Like, mm-hmm. <laughs> like he's just a wild guy. We need him to play baseball. He's super good. Like, <laughs> holy fuck. I mean, I, I, oh, like. So, how many years did he play in the major leagues? Was this? This was, um, was like he played like almost like not, ten years, ten years almost of professional baseball. He was born in eighteen seventy. Yeah, when did it say he played his first professional club, which was eighteen ninety two? But that's not like the major leagues. Like yeah, he yeah, came yeah. to the major leagues in like yeah. eighteen ninety four well, when like, his neighbor Connie yeah. Mack was like, "Come play for my Pittsburgh." Pirates. Yeah, exactly. That's insane. So yeah. like five years. But he, but he was so good. And the Bean Eaters was, like, big time back then, right? Yeah, so he went like, to the Bean Eaters in 96. Yeah. So then he played, what, three, three four years, years for, for them? Three for, years for yeah. them. And then killed his family and, and himself. And, did it, what? Like, I mean, well, that's fucked up. Like, But, like, killing the family is, like... And then you just that... I'm like, what's going to happen to him? Like, does he go to jail? Does he... And I'm like, oh, 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 oh. <laughs> 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 It's fucked. I was like, I... Holy shit! Well, um, I get, I, I guess uh, that's the story. Yeah. Well, <laughs> after Bergen's deeds on January nineteenth, nineteen hundred, Doctor Dion repeatedly made comments that Bergen was insane and a maniac. Mm-hmm. The doctor believed that the situation was out of his control and out of his purview or purview. Purview. Finally, acknowledging. <laughs> Bergen's mental illness, the Boston Globe's Tim Murnane wrote that Bergen, quote, was entitled to the undivided sympathy of the baseball public as well as players and the directors. In the wake of the tragedy, North Brookfield made efforts to better educate professionals in the community about mental health issues. That's fantastic. Yeah. Clearly it did not work. Or it, no, well, well, maybe it worked to the extent of their knowledge back then. Yeah. But, like, yes. Well, hopefully it helped after this, like, tragedy Well, there was, it was fucked up the way the press just, you know, was just like... The, the He's glo- behaving weird. The but Globe let's guy's just, just like, oh, I'll just, like, go out to his farm. And, like, yeah, all right. Like, clearly they saw, like, what was going... Obviously they wouldn't have the knowledge we have nowadays. But, like, no. clearly they, it was just... And then they just, like, wrote about it. Like, I'm sure, like, because he was such a good player... But obviously, mm-hmm. and like, but the erratic behavior and shit like that, and like, even the, like, even the drama between his teammates, like, obviously the press was gonna like focus on that shit. But like, if I, I would hope that nowadays that that would be recognized mm-hmm. much mm-hmm. earlier and not be uh, uh, not just kind of ignored and or, or like, even just like exploited in the press yeah. as yeah. well. Like it's fucked up. All right. Well, uh, yeah. Uh, 
follow us on Twitter at Doing Baseball. Yeah, we forgot to do that last time. Yeah, do that. Follow us on Twitter. And he uh, he tweets uh, at what the Ed at the Ed Seventeen. Yeah, you don't really uh, need to follow me though, unless you like wrestling. Yeah, I know. Well, I mean, sometimes you retweet some baseball shit. Sometimes. Anyways, yeah, yeah, it's it's fine. Whatever. That was a fucked up story. Yeah, it was. (laughs) So that's Sean. (laughs) He's Ed. You've been doing some baseball. All right. Okay. Bye. Bye.